This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. It was here in Glasgow 250 years ago that James Watt came up with a machine that was powered by steam that was produced by burning coal. And yes, my friends, we've brought you to the very place where the doomsday machine began to tick. In his opening speech on Monday, Prime Minister Boris Johnson made reference to the beginnings of industrialisation. Steam engines made big factories possible. Trains and ships could travel the globe. Coal powered the growth of Britain's economy. But now the industrialisation that changed the world is destroying the planet. We may have largely consigned coal to history here in the UK, but it's still the biggest source of greenhouse gases, powering the emerging economies today. At COP26 on Wednesday, more than 40 countries agreed to phase out their use of coal. This progress that we're making means that for the first time, we can actually see that the end of unabated coal power uh, is in view and is attainable. But Australia, China, India and the US haven't added their names. From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay and this is Science Weekly Daily. Are we really saying goodbye to coal? Are you somewhere where there's cushions or pillows around you? Right now, I'm in a very quiet spot in the corner of my bedroom. Um, Someone who's thought a lot about the transition away from coal is Dr. Rachel Cletus. Lots of bedding and stuff around. (laughs) That's that's perfect. Rachel's a policy director at the Union of Concerned Scientists, and she looks at how to cut heat-trapping emissions from the power sector. So, Rachel, I think we should start with the basics – what is coal? Well, coal essentially is a, is a very carbon-rich 
rock. It's a black rock and it's formed uh, deep underground over thousands of years uh, with heat and pressure. And it is uh, one of the most abundantly used sources of energy around the world. And so it's this black rock of carbon. Is that why it's called the dirtiest fossil fuel? Yeah, the challenge with coal is, yes, it has carbon, which when you burn it, you can generate energy from it, but it contains a number of other toxics in it. So when it's burned, it releases things like particulate matter, mercury, uh, nitrogen oxide, sulfur dioxide, many, many air and water pollutants. And these pollutants take a significant toll on health around the world. How do these pollutants that coal gives off affect health? What happens is when people breathe these toxins, it can create a number of health impacts, everything from asthma, breathing troubles, brain damage, heart problems. It contributes to cancer um, and premature death all around the world. Coal as well, when we burn it, uh, there's a leftover material called coal ash. And we have millions of tons of coal ash generated all over the world every year. And a lot of that ends up in waterways, in ponds and lakes. So we know coal is on the decline in some places like Europe, but countries like China, the US and India are still using it in quite a big way. So what is all this coal being used for? Coal is primarily being used to generate electricity around the world. It's also used for industrial purposes and for heating, uh, but power generation is one of the primary uses of coal combustion. How important is phasing out all this coal use to reduce the impacts of the climate crisis? It's pretty clear that if we are going to meet our global climate goals, uh, the whole world has to get off coal as quickly as possible. And uh, the data from IEA show that we're going to have to make the sharp turn away from coal within this decade. We no longer have the luxury of continuing to burn what is one of the primary contributors to heat trapping emissions. Gillian, you're the Guardian's energy correspondent, and we just heard from Rachel that we have no choice. The world has to get off coal this decade, and more than 40 countries have agreed to do just that. So, who has signed on, and is there a timeline for the transition? Absolutely. It's an incredibly important part of meeting um, the climate goals that are being set out here at COP26. This alliance of countries which is coming forward to phase out coal is a, a key flagship um, policy that's being pushed forward um, by the COP26 presidency. So they've got a lot riding on this and some big um, countries um, have signed up, including Canada, Poland, Ukraine and Vietnam, which are all huge huge coal users. One very exciting uh, thing we saw um, involving my home country, South Africa, is um, a great pledge from a handful of, of major economies, including the UK and France, which are going to be offering South Africa $8.5 billion in grants to help them you know, phase out coal, which plays an enormous role in, in South Africa's economy and its power generation. So what we've heard a lot of today is that this could be seen as a template um, to be used elsewhere across the world. This could be the pathway forward for weaning economies off coal. 
And you mentioned that there were some big emitters signed up. But I guess more importantly, who hasn't signed up for the agreement? Well, that's the question. Uh, We've got Australia, huge coal user. China, again, also a very big coal user. India and the US. They're all missing from this alliance. Um, Interestingly, Poland, which has come on board, um, has clarified things since joining to say that they're going to be taking the developing economy route. So they will only be phasing out their coal Um, In the 2040s, uh, they've given a hard deadline of 2049, so not a moment sooner than what's um, requested as part of the alliance, which I think for a lot of uh, climate campaigners was quite disappointing. So why is Poland taking the route of a developing nation? I can only suspect that they see uh, the path forward in phasing out coal as being particularly challenging for their economy. I'm sure they they have major concerns about whether it would be a just energy transition for them and they want as much time as they can get. Uh, Poland has has quite particular circumstances. They are a lot earlier in their coal phase-out journey than a country like the UK, where it's really easy to join this kind of alliance. I have some sympathy, but at the same time, if you're you're just kicking the can down the road, I think you're ultimately making that transition harder to do. Gillian, thank you so much. I'll let you get back to your reporting. Thank you very much. (laughs) As Gillian explained, energy transitions need to be just and fair to be successful. Across the river, Mikul Bieder, the deputy mayor of a Polish town called Beetham, was giving a talk on how its move away from coal had impacted the area. So tell me about Bitum. What's it like as a town? Uh, Bitum is an uh, industrial city. Uh, for the last 150 years, we had seven coal mines and two steel mills. Uh, now, after a few unjust transitions, we have only one coal mine still operating. So tell me about those unjust transitions. So how did Bitum begin to close its mines and the power plants? Uh, actually, Bitum didn't close uh, its mine because it was done by the government and the government was closing the mines. Uh, previous mayors were fighting against transformation and against closing the mines. They wanted to secure the jobs for the folks. But after these unjust transitions, we lost uh, 50,000 jobs and as many inhabitants of our city. We used to have over 230 inhabitants. Now we have less than 150. So you said about an unjust transition. What does that mean? Uh, This means that the government didn't think about local economy. When you send uh, 50,000 workers to unemployment, you destroy the local economy. That's the consequence. And the problem caused also by these um, unjust transitions are social problems, inherited unemployment, poverty and social exclusion. And so now, facing a climate crisis, we obviously want to begin to close coal plants, but as your town has shown, it's not so easy as just shutting them down. What would a just transition look like? 
we should prepare the local economy for the process before it starts. Um, what is uh, equally important or even more important, you have to transform the energetic and heating systems both on the country and the local level. Because closing the mines themselves would not be enough because the coal can be transported from Russia or Australia. So we have to transform our energy and heating systems. And so do you think Poland as a whole is going to be able to move away from coal in time? Uh, Poland as a whole uh, does not have any other option. The question is not if, rather than when. With the first week of COP drawing to a close, my colleagues, Global Environment Editor John Watts and producer Nicole Jackson, happened to bump into United States Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry. So they asked him how he thought things were going so far. I think the COP is uh, proceeding uh, in a very positive direction. I'm very encouraged by the level of ambition that is being produced. Not enough from everybody, but um, uh, but 65% of global GDP is now on programs, commitments, that will hold 1.5 degrees alive. And that's significant. Do we need the others? Yes. But this puts you in a place where uh, I think we will have raised ambition sufficiently that you can see in the next year or two, we can, you know, this 10-year, it's a 10-year period, it's a decade, we're allegedly have, according to the best scientists. So if this is indeed the decade of decision, if somebody comes along next year, makes a big difference, we can win the battle. So that's what's important, and I think... Uh, the private sector presence is really critical and very significant because there, no government has the adequate amount of money to get the job done by itself. So we absolutely have to bring the private sector to the table and that's what we're doing. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. COP26 is certainly not done. Next week will be crucial. That's when we'll know if the promises being made can turn into a credible deal that keeps 1.5 alive. Plus, we'll be hearing from protesters, politicians and the scientists who have spent decades getting the world to wake up to the climate crisis. We'll be back to cover it all. Subscribe to Science Weekly wherever you get your podcasts and head to theguardian.com for the latest stories as they happen. If you want to hear more about the first week of COP and whether 1.5 degrees is still alive, then definitely check out today's episode of Today in Focus. They also did an excellent episode on Tuesday, speaking to three young activists about their work forcing political leaders to change course on the climate crisis. Particularly relevant to today's COP26 theme, youth and public empowerment. Search for Today in Focus. And that really is it from Science Weekly Daily this week. See you Monday. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? 
We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.